Good morning, Redemption. My name is Tim Morrow. I'm a member here. We have two readings for today. The first one will be in Isaiah 61. The second one will be in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Luke four sixteen. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom... He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? This is God's word for us today. Father God, we ask that you be with us. We thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself to us as we see here, not only in the pages of scripture, but you have come in the flesh to read to us the pages of scripture and to say, these are about me. God, the Father, you have sent us your precious son. Would you open our eyes now to see just how glorious this good news is and will we long for it to reverse even all of our bad news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> there is something about bad news that can actually make good news that much better when it comes. For example, uh, my mom recently had the three-year anniversary for a major reconstructive cancer surgery. Uh, they removed a fast-growing tumor from her mouth, but because that tumor had already reached her jaw, the surgery required a skin graft and a bone transfusion. It was just incredibly uh, intense. And for a season, it just felt like bad news kept coming uh, for my mom and our family. First, the tumor itself, uh, then the extent of the surgery then all the challenges and complications that would come as a result of the surgery, including a year or more of battling and fighting against an infection. Then the cancer spread to her lung, uh, which required another surgery. Thankfully, 
After both of those surgeries, uh, they were able to remove all of the cancer, but since then, my mom has gone in for a full body scan every quarter uh, just to make sure. And each time she goes in for a scan, of course, our family is a bit anxious to get the results back and to learn what they say. Praise God, um, the last seven scans have come back perfectly clear. It's been almost two full years. Um, my dad and I have gotten, gotten pretty good at reading and interpreting these scans. If you med students know, they're not always the easiest. Uh, but, you know, my mom will send it on to me and I'll interpret it. I just kind of read it and say, hey, call her back. This sounds like great news. As far as I can tell, you're, you're cancer-free. This is great. She says, that's great, sweetie. <clears throat> can you send it on to Carl? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you know Carl Durnell is one of our elders and uh, a pathologist here at the medical college. So, but after this most recent scan, uh, when she went in to review everything with her oncologist, we got some incredibly good news. Just one sentence that really sticks out to me. The oncologist said that usually with this many scans that come back clear, it is very unlikely that your kind of cancer will return. And that sentence was just incredibly good news to us, just an incredible relief to hear those words after all that she's been through. It really had a way of undoing so much pain and sorrow. I'm sure you can all relate to this, at least in a sense, to, to a season of life when you feel stuck in some kind of prolonged pain and suffering. And there are, seems to be countless reasons to despair, and there are, it seems to be, very few reasons to hope until finally, finally, that hope somehow breaks through. And finally, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes the best news there is is actually bad news reversed. This is what we're gonna see about the story of Christmas here and, and the, the good news of Christ's birth. We're gonna look at a passage again from Isaiah, Old Testament passage, and from Luke. Now Isaiah, this prophecy, the whole book is filled, especially in the first half, with plenty of bad news. Isaiah condemns Israel for their corruption and their sin, and he predicts a whole host of devastations that will come as a result. But then toward the end of the book, he points us towards an anointed, what he calls servant king, who will be sent, who will come to reverse all of this bad news and to restore God's people once and for all. Of course, there was plenty of speculation along the way over many, many centuries as to who this servant king would be and when he would finally come. That is, until one day, a Jewish man named Jesus of Nazareth got up to read this scroll from Isaiah that points forward to this servant king during an otherwise ordinary Sabbath Sunday, or Sabbath service, that is, uh, in a Jewish synagogue, and he claimed in no uncertain terms to be this servant king who was here to reverse our bad news. And so maybe you are dealing with some heavy bad news in your own life 
this Advent season, whether it's a crisis in your health or a crisis in your career or a crisis with your family, whatever it is, you feel the burdens of life in a fallen world just sort of bearing down on you. And of all things, this Christmas season, you could use some good news. Maybe even, hopefully, some bad news reversed. I think we're gonna see today that's exactly what the story of Christmas is all about. In fact, in the birth of Christ, God has given us the best bad news reversal we could possibly imagine. And so first, if you wanna open your Bible back up to that prophet Isaiah in chapter 61, Go ahead and turn there now. We're gonna take a look and see in part one, this bad news reversing child is promised. Now, just a little background on Isaiah. The prophet uh, Isaiah was actually a contemporary of Micah's. If you were with us last week, we looked at a prophecy from Micah. Isaiah actually lived and prophesied during the same portion of Israel's history, during that period of the divided kingdom. Now, the book of Isaiah is one of the longest prophets in the Old Testament. It's 66 chapters long, and it pretty clearly divides into two parts, chapters 1 to 39, and then chapters 40 into the end. In chapters 1 to 39, in that first half, Isaiah feels very much like Micah, which we read last week. He points forward and foretells the coming fall of Israel uh, because of their sin and their destruction and their corruption and all the the effects of those things. And then throughout the first half, he kind of bounces back and forth between prophecies of judgment against Israel and then prophecies of hope that Israel would eventually be redeemed and restored. Then in chapter 39, something happens. Isaiah tells King Hezekiah, the king of Judah, that Babylon will eventually conquer Judah and send all of God's people into Exile. Now, from that point on in the book, there's a noticeable change in the book. Something happens, and the book uh, turns, and his interest focuses on Israel's restoration post-exile, after the exile. It's almost as if the book fast-forwards a few centuries to see what this recovery will actually look like on the other end of this exile, And as you keep reading the second half of Isaiah, slowly but surely, Isaiah's focus begins to narrow in on one messianic figure whom Isaiah calls the servant king. Along the way, we learn quite a bit about the servant king. Actually, next week, we're going to look at a different passage from Isaiah about the same servant king, and we're going to to learn a little bit more about him. But here in chapter 61, something also very interesting happens. For the very first time in the book, this servant king starts to address us through the writings of Isaiah. That's what we see here in chapter 61. If you look with me at verse one, he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me, he says, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, especially in this day, of all people, the poor were among those who rarely ever got good news. They lived basically a life of bad news, especially in this day. It was a very hard time and a very hard place to live as a poor person. So it's not just that this servant king is coming with just any good news. It's that he is coming with good news for those who need it 
most. He is coming with good news for the poor and for the lowly, those who would have been well aware of their neediness, maybe even a little skeptical that their neediness would ever be addressed. And as the servant king keeps explaining what God sent him to do, it's hard to miss. There's a pattern here. He's talking about reversing all of their bad news. In particular, he promises to reverse seven different kinds of bad news here. He says, if you look with me, that God has sent him to bind up or to bandage and heal the brokenhearted. He's there to reverse their brokenheartedness and to proclaim liberty, that is, for captives. He's there to reverse their captivity. Same pattern all the way through. To comfort all who mourn and to give a beautiful headdress, which would have been worn during a celebratory event, instead of ashes, which would have been used at an event, a gathering of lament, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. So I want you to notice, in each case, something bad, right? Brokenheartedness, captivity, mourning is, is being reversed into something good. It is comfort, freedom, gladness, praise, for example, I want you to imagine whatever bad news you're carrying with you today, or, or even the worst news you've ever had to experience in your life being totally undone and reversed. Now, if that seems good to us as fairly well-off and fairly prosperous people, just imagine how it would have felt to these then impoverished exiles who've endured centuries and centuries of even oppression and poverty. Finally, I want us to notice that once this servant king arrives to reverse all of this bad news, the result is that God's people then join him in reversing bad news. Toward the end of, of verse three, the servant king says he's gonna do all of these reversals that they, God's poor and lowly people, may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he, God, may be glorified, and then listen to what they will devote themselves to as a result. He says, they shall build up the ancient cities. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And so not only will their bad news be reversed in a personal way, but when it is, they will join God in reversing all of this bad news that came as a result of their former sin and their former corruption. They will, as he says, raise up and repair what has been ruined and devastated for so, so long. Of course, if we just trail through the story of Scripture, we know the ruin and devastation that Isaiah pointed forward to did eventually come. Israel. Babylon did come and send them off into exile. For centuries, God's chosen people lived in exile, uh, scattered among many enemy nations, suffering all kinds of pain and sorrow. Then eventually, somewhere along the way, in the middle of that story, another, another nation called the Persians came in, and they actually did something interesting. They did invite the Jews back to kind of rebuild even their temple and some other things. And a number of people would have looked to a prophecy like this and thought, well, maybe it's happening. Here it comes, here we go. But it turns out maybe in some ways there are glimmers of that in this prophecy, but not in its fullness. Because God's people 
who used to rule in this region, they used to be in power, they used to prosper, were still, in most cases, lowly and impoverished. They were not in power. And most importantly, this servant king had not come to reverse their bad news until one day the bad news reversing child was provided for us. And this is where I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter four. Now, Luke's gospel is, is interesting. It begins with the, one of the most detailed accounts of Jesus' birth of all four gospels. In fact, uh, by the end of chapter three in Luke's gospel, three chapters into the book, Jesus' ministry still has not begun. Uh, there's a lengthy birth narrative, of course, and then there's a story of Christ as a young child, then there's a genealogy, and then there's a story of his temptation. And only then, after all that, if you look at the section right before this one, chances are you have a heading somewhere if you have an ESV Bible, and it says, Jesus' ministry begins. Here we are, chapter four, just getting underway. So what I want you to see is that this story we are looking at here is the first story that Luke includes about Jesus' actual adult ministry. And so in a sense, it's meant to be, I think, a very trajectory-setting story. It's meant to kind of pick up the hood for us and show us. We're meant to kind of get here to this story and think, oh, okay, well, now I'm starting to see what all this other stuff is about that I've been reading for these first three chapters, his birth and this genealogy, right? We're about to find that out. And this story here, actually, in chapter four is very simple. Jesus is worshiping in the synagogue of his hometown, Nazareth, on a Sabbath day. He gets up to read a passage from the book of Isaiah. It happens to be the prophecy we've just looked at here. When God's anointed, bad news reversing servant king speaks and he announces his arrival, Jesus reads this. He rolls up the scroll, hands it to the scroll keeper. He sits down and presumably with the whole congregation looking at him during this moment of transition and silence in the service, Jesus likely breaks the silence almost as if it's an afterthought, almost kind of as if to say, oh, oh yeah, guys, by the way, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today. In other words, this prophecy that Isaiah wrote so long ago is no longer about a coming servant king. We're not waiting for him to come anymore. The one who just read that prophecy to you is him. It's me, and I am here. By reading that prophecy that day, in that synagogue, church, Jesus was declaring to be this bad news reversing servant king. He was saying, I have been anointed by God to preach good news to the poor. He's saying, I am the hope of God's lowly, exiled people, and I'm here to announce in this synagogue in Nazareth, that my mission to reverse your bad news has begun. First, the people's response was simple. It says, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. They were amused, at least. 
maybe even a little taken aback. But you have to kind of admit, to be there that day, it would have felt like Jesus was really taking quite a bit of responsibility on his shoulders, would it not? Which is more than likely why they wondered next, is not this Joseph's son? In other words, don't we know this kid? Is he, isn't he from around here? How, how could he be making all these outlandish claims? Now, of course, the irony of this as a reader of Luke's gospel is that we know of all people that know this is not Joseph's son. Just a, few verse, just a few chapters earlier, an angel had to appear to Joseph to tell him that his fiance Mary was going to have a child that was not his. So we know this as the readers. We already know this is not Joseph's son at all. This is God's son. Next week, we're going to look again at a different prophecy from Isaiah. We're actually going to look at the second half of this passage from Luke to look more at the response of that Nazareth synagogue. Today, I just want us to see this glorious message that these two passages are meant to show us in tandem. What I want us to see, church, is that Jesus was born to bring us good news in a world full of bad news. He was born to be this servant king. Ultimately, he was born to reverse our worst news. Ultimately, our sin, our death, by dying in our place himself and by rising from the dead in victory for all who believe to gain eternal life. But I want you to imagine, I imagine rather, many would have thought that his arrival was long overdue. Uh, Many Jews probably even given up hope that he would ever come or that their bad news would ever end. But in God's perfect timing, he came. Not only did he come, he got up, he read this scroll, and he told us, I'm here. And as bad as our bad news may be, church, his arrival has the potential to reverse it all. And so next, what I want to consider together as we reflect on these two passages and what we see here, what does all of this mean for us this Advent season? What does it mean? I want to share just three simple applications. And and the first one is this, is that Jesus cares deeply about our bad news. He cares deeply. And by bad news, I mean all the negative effects of a sin in our life, whether they're direct effects, we sin and there's a consequence for it, or indirect effects, just the result of life in a fallen world. For a starting point here, just look at all the negative things that Isaiah lists in his prophecy. Brokenheartedness, mourning, poverty, a faint spirit. One consequence of, of living as sinful people in a fallen world is that we are surrounded by bad news. And this bad news has a way of wearing on us, has a way of beating us down. We long for children but then we're plagued with miscarriage and infertility. We want some kind of financial stability in our life, but no matter how hard we work, we can't seem to get there. We long for safe and trusting relationships, but it seems everyone keeps disappointing us. I could just go on and on and on. And and there is a brand of Christianity that kind of minimizes these sorrows as if truly mature Christians should just kind of ignore them. And those who don't just kind of ignore them, they're kind of, they're just weak. 
especially this time of year, we often think, okay, well, I, I just got to put a smile on and get over whatever it is I'm working through. Nobody wants to be with a downer on Christmas, right? This is a time of, of good cheer. But the truth is, one of the primary reasons Christ was born, church, was to meet us in our bad news. Christ was born to enter into our bad news with us. He came so that he could read us this scroll in that synagogue and announce to us, I am here. I am your servant king, here to reverse your bad news. And so whatever hardship you are facing this Advent season, I want to encourage you to resist the temptation to just swallow it. Resist this temptation to just keep it hidden deep, deep beneath the surface. Christmas is about your God coming down from heaven because he cares about your suffering. Whether it's a crisis in your career or a bout of deep depression or a season of intense grief because of the loss of a loved one or even just a conflict-ridden relationship that seems it will never improve. I want to encourage us today, church, bring your bad news to Christ this Advent. Bring it out into the open light and be comforted because this child is your servant king and he cares deeply about your suffering. In the same way, when you sense that someone else in your life is carrying some heavy bad news this Christmas, don't just ignore that. Uh, Don't just kind of lay that aside and hope to maybe circle back to it sometime in the new year. It's really not in keeping with the spirit of Christmas. Christmas is a season of great joy. It should be a time of glad tidings and cheer, absolutely. But the good news of Christmas is that a servant king has broken into our bad news. That's the good news. In a way, if we minimize that bad news or if we just pretend it's not all that bad, that actually has a way of diminishing even the glory and the sweetness of Christ's birth and all that it means. This child is a kind, tender, and compassionate God who's grieved by your bad news. He came because he cares. And that's really good news. So first, Jesus cares deeply about our bad news. At the same time, he was born to reverse it into good news. Now I want you to imagine being there that day when Jesus read from Isaiah's scroll. And I want you to imagine being there when he sat down and in the quiet of that gathering then he said, today, This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This scripture, which promises good news to the poor and liberty to the captive. This scripture, which promises comfort to those who mourn and strength to those who have faint hearts. This scripture in which God's anointed one promises to reverse all of our bad news. That scripture was fulfilled on that day. Chances are most of us would have responded in the same way that Many actually did respond. At first, probably would have been impressed. Wow, that sounds great. And then the enormity of this claim probably caused many to doubt. Really? When's all that going to happen? Isn't this that carpenter Joseph's kid? 
Could there really be something that special about him in his his birth? He's probably just a little full of himself, don't you think? It would have been really hard to believe that a prophecy this glorious and hope-filled would ever be fulfilled. It would have been much easier to instead to doubt and to be skeptical, that is, until Jesus began his ministry. After this story in Luke chapter four, in the span of just two chapters, here's what happens. Jesus casts out demons. He heals many who are sick. He even fills Peter's boat with fish after he just spent all night fishing, catching nothing. He starts reversing everyone's bad news. And if anyone had any doubts during that Sabbath service that this was, in fact, Isaiah's bad news reversing servant king, it was at that point simply because they had a sinful and unbelieving heart, especially not to mention when he got around to reversing his own death. But in particular, the concern that Jesus shows during his life and ministry for the tangible earthly suffering of real, lowly, poor people is meant to be proof that he is, in fact, this bad news reversing king. It's not just that he cares deeply about our bad news. It's not just that he's a kind and tender king. Church, this child was born to do something about the tragic effects of sin in our life. He was born to reverse them for us. Do we really believe this? Do we really believe that Jesus was born, not just to get us into heaven someday, but even to rescue us from bad news of a fallen world here and now? Many of you have experienced this in your own lives. I've seen it. It's been an incredible joy. You have suffered through seasons of tragedy and suffering and and, and sorrow that you thought you would never see the end of. You'd never recover from, but you have. When your loved ones have tragically died or you had another miscarriage or you had an urgent practical need and again, there were countless reasons to despair, very few reasons it seemed to hope, but Christ sustained you and his body came alongside of you and helped to carry you through it. In many cases, we have seen even, we have watched as God has provided you with children after seasons of miscarriage or comfort in a season of grief or even with solutions to real, practical, pressing needs. That is what the story of Christmas is about. It's about that kind of Savior finally coming to relieve our suffering and reverse our bad news. And in Christ, we have that servant king. Yet there is also a tension with this prophecy, as there often is with big prophecies that make big promises. And that is, what if my bad news hasn't been reversed? Uh, What if it never does get reversed? Truth is, even during his earthly life, not everyone who interacted with Jesus had all of their sorrows and troubles washed away. And so what does this mean for those who don't? Is there something wrong with us? Does it mean we don't have enough faith? How is this true for us? We all have this tendency to go there, to spiral in this way, and it's understandable because pain and suffering in a fallen world is very real. 
It's very, very challenging to walk through. But we do tend to fixate even on a very specific bad thing that we really, really want to be reversed in our lives. And we assume that that one bad thing we know is, of course, the very worst thing going on in our life. And until God fixes that thing, then I won't believe that he's actually a bad news reversing God at all. Again, I think we can all relate to this when we're in in that season of pain and suffering. We can understand how that feels to be there. But here I think we do need to zoom out a bit. And we need some perspective. Thankfully, perspective that will give us life. The scriptures are really helpful here. In the face of hardship and suffering now, this is really hard, but we do need an eternal perspective. But you listen carefully with me. The worst news that we all have in our life is that we are sinners at odds with a holy God. All the other bad news, in fact, that we have to experience is downstream from that bad news. Sin is the reason our families are broken. It's the reason our bodies will fail us. It's the reason we will eventually die. It is why our work can be futile. It is why anxiety can overwhelm us. It is why life can feel, frankly, even meaningless. But listen, if we believe that this Jesus is who he claimed to be, if we believe he lived a perfect, sinless life and he died a sacrificial death in your place, if you believe that he rose again to reverse the baddest bad news there is, namely death itself, once and for all, if we believe that, well then first and foremost, we can be sure that the worst news we could ever have has been dealt with. It has been reversed into bad news. And therefore, this is the key, you can also be confident that the root of all your other bad news, the source of it, the cause of all your suffering has been addressed, church. It is finished. He came, he was born to finish it for you and to reverse our bad news. For now, we will still suffer, but we can be sure that our suffering will not finally overcome us. We will see the day when the Lord's favor is secured for us forever. We will see the day when that throne speaks from, the, the, uh, that voice speaks rather from the throne of heaven as we read in Revelation 21. And it says this, it says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. As Christians, we rest in this confidence that Christ will reverse our bad news and he will reverse it totally and he will reverse it eternally. And church, that good news of our eternal redemption is so good that it should radically change the way we approach bad news here and now. It should cut the sting right out of our bad news because we know no matter how bad it may be now, it will 
be reversed. We hold to this hope in faith, church. As Paul says in Romans 8, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Christ is still in the process of reversing our bad news in this sense, it's true, but we can be sure that when he does, it will more than make up for any pain and suffering we experience along the way. That is a great hope that should carry us through. And yet, again, I, I wanna be clear here. Not all of this bad news reversing has to wait for later. <laughs> By God's grace, we do get a glimpse of it, even here and now in our day-to-day -day lives. I have in my own life, many of you have, I've seen it, it's a joy. In fact, we should pray and we should have faith that Christ can reverse our bad news, even today. And he may, in fact, do that, but thankfully, we can trust that even if he does not, ultimately, it will be reversed in the end. And finally, be brief on this point, we should also join Christ in reversing bad news as well. Much like, again, in Isaiah 61, as soon as the servant king reverses our bad news, we get to join him in reversing bad news as well. We get to proclaim his good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we get to restore what was ruined and what is devastated by sin. It's an important part of the Christian life. It's one of the great joys of the Christian life how can we help others in simple and practical ways to see the bad news reversed in their life? A few of our members have really led us in this in the way that they've been involved and serving with Safe Families. It's a ministry that is focused on caring for families in crisis here in our community. I wanna, I wanna point you to them and commend you to them as you hear of these stories and these things working in the life of our church. Thank you to those of you who do serve in this way, for leading us, to show us, right, whatever it is, it's providing a meal to someone or supporting them emotionally, maybe even financially for a time, or even just being with them in their pain, to bind up, if you will, their brokenheartedness. This is a valuable ministry that God is honored by. I love what the 19th century Anglican bishop J.C. Ryle has to say about this. He says, this world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it, he says, is a friend. This friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. It has a way of reversing, right? That may sound corny, may even seem a little cliche, that's fine. There is something profoundly true about this. There is something in the simple kindness and care of a friend that points us to the good news of our servant king. So who can you be a Christ-like friend to this Advent season? We can't just reverse everyone's bad news in and of ourselves, that's true, but we can point them to the servant king who will and we can be a reflection of his glorious reversal here and now. This should be at least in part what Christmas is all about for us. It's about reversing bad news in so far as we can because that is why Christ was born for us. He came as our servant king to preach good news 
to those who need it the most, poor and lowly people like us. And so church, let's cling to that good news ourselves this Christmas. Our servant king has come and let's be a source of this good news in the life of others as well.